Welcome inside the pylon, folks, to Pylon U. Jeff Fair, Shane Alexander for our post week two recap, week three preview. And um, Shane, any what's going on down in Alabama? Anything big? We had engagement photos yesterday. Oh, well, let's talk about this for 45 minutes. Yeah, let's not. So, you know, we had a couple outfits, uh, and we, we went around Birmingham taking photos. It wasn't as bad as I made it out to be, but obviously it was terrible. Um, and we were at this park, and we knew it was overcast, but there was no real rain cloud in sight. And then we right as we were finishing up, uh, like a Mobile, Alabama, hurricane-style rain, just struck and by the time we got back to our vehicles there wasn't a dry spot on our body and so that wasn't fun because we had to drive back 30 minutes soaking wet in our engagement photo outfit so not great bob to 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 compare it i'm a little bit better off than arizona (laughs) um or or michigan state or well, yeah. Or other teams that are at not Florida in good State, shape yeah. Right now. So I had a better weekend than Arizona. I okay. had a better weekend than the Buffalo Bills, but just barely. Well, we're gonna start off this episode uh, trying to bring a little. Wait a second did 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 they have like they didn't have cameras when y'all when y'all got engaged? So how did y'all uh, document y'all's uh, wedding? Uh, we got engaged in 2012, so yes, there were cameras. Yeah. I mean, there was a light bulb that exploded, but there was cameras. Yeah. Um, but we're going to start off the episode today not talking about any more engagement photos, talking about this God. particular – and the, the, my big takeaway, Shane, I, I sent you a message about this, was just the era of quarterbacks in the FBS right now. And yeah. The, so we're calling this segment the opening drive, yes, by the, the way. The opening New segment. Drive before we swing into our review of the games and just our big yeah, takeaway sure. from the week and what we thought – and the message I sent you to you was just, you know, last draft we had Darnold, Rosen, Lamar, Baker, Mayfield, all big-time college players, all big-time pro prospects, all of them being gone and kind of wondering who was going to step up next. And Will Greer and Drew Locke, both in the context of pro prospects and uh, college player and, and the, ele- the level they can get to in college, were thought to be the next to take that mantle. But we're realizing – and we saw some of this with Tua and the national title game, but through two games he's kind of proven it, is that some of these guys that took over for the guys are making the quarterback play on a college level, not a pro perspective. We're taking talking just college performance right now. Yeah. Are taking it to a new level. And this is, you know, Kyler Murray and uh, Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. Martinez uh, at Nebraska with his debut this past weekend. It just There's so much electricity at the position right now that I think we're in this – it's – you know the passing offenses have been coming up for quite some time, but yeah, the talent is all across the board right now. Yeah, we're really in a in a golden era of quarterback play in college football, um, and I think for a couple of years, obviously, there's always the the one or two quarterbacks or however many they're definitely pro prospects. But I think there was a lull there for a few years where the quarterback play was catching up to the rest of the quality of college football and, and maybe the stats and all that was just a byproduct of the systems. But I actually think now that we've reached a point where these the quarterback, the way that high school quarterbacks are developed, um, usually now by 7th or 8th grade, once the maturing process starts, you can kind of tell 
how lively a kid's arm is. And so once you dial in on a kid being quarterback material, you get them in camps, you have them going through you know progressions and installing more complicated offenses at the high school level. And there's so many camps that you can get these kids into to where their, their skills are refined, but also where they're just discovered. And the Elite 11 does a great job of that, and Trent Dilfer. And these high school, uh, or excuse me, these college programs have really got sci- uh, uh, scouting down to a science in a lot of ways. I know that the, the thing to say every time there's a Khalil Mack drafted or, or whoever like that is that you know ratings don't mean nothing. And to an extent, development is not linear. And yes, just because you get all five stars doesn't mean you're going to win. And it, Boise State has proven for the last decade you can win with two stars if you develop them properly. But the, the way that scouting has really honed itself – and, and, and refined its craft at the high school level, there's a lot higher hit rate now than there was several years ago. And so I think a lot of these college coaches know by the junior year of, of these guys in high school, hey, we need to go get this kid. Mm-hmm. And they can be very system-specific. And then when they get them to college, there there's no longer, and it's really the Nick Saban model and, and the Urban Meyer model, I guess, they kind of happen at the exact same time where both of these these coaches started saying the best player is going to play. Mm-hmm. There used to be a hierarchy. You know, in Bear Bryant State, Alabama, he would have you know, nine quarterbacks deep on the roster because he could hoard those type of guys. And then even after scholarship limitations, you know, there was usually this unwritten rule where the, the upperclassmen plays. But that's no longer the case. You see now that if a guy can come in and challenge, even if he's not named the full-time starter, if there's ways to get him on the field – Coaches are going to get them their best players on the field because they know that they have a finite time to be successful. And so all of these variables are leading to what we're seeing this year, which is outstanding quarterback play. Mm-hmm. I was looking at our I was looking at our uh, our top ten Heisman. I have eight, and I believe you do too. I think we both have yeah. eight of the ten quarter uh, the ten picks in our top ten Heisman um, are are all quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And there's a great case for a lot of these guys through two weeks, even some guys that we didn't mention. And Brett Rippon is a guy that we haven't gotten our top ten yet on our Heisman, but he looks outstanding. He's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country. Uh, Cole McDonald from Hawaii through three games is putting up Colt Brennan numbers. And it's not just volume of passes. He's, he's, his passing, passing efficiency is incredible. Like you said, Tua, Will Greer, Kyler Mary looks amazing. Um, Steven Montez in Colorado. Yeah, Montez at Colorado in his thousandth year of eligibility is huh. looking amazing. Yeah. Justin Herbert not only looks like an amazing pro, uh, excuse me, an, an amazing uh, college player, he looks like the type of, of kid that can be a real big pro prospect in about seven months. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we are really in a, in a time that the quarterback play is as dominant, I think, across the board as it's been in a long time. And, and, a teams benefit from that, but the viewership really benefits from that because the quarterback's the only player on the field that has the ball every snap. So it's an exciting, exciting time that we're in. And I, I think we're seeing there's a great point you know, about guys coming in earlier and performing. I think there's two two ends of that. I think you're seeing a little more of the the college basketballization of college football, where you know the guys are coming in right away because of the blurring of the lines between high school and, and college, where it's not that different anymore. And guys that go to big programs, there's a support structure in place now for them. I mean, there's so so many so resources to to help these guys along. And I would say even the the offensive systems, because they become more homogenized and they're yeah. more, maybe more quarterback friendly than ever, just 
helps their development. It's in that makes the development curve just that much quicker. Homogenized is a really good word, usually a political term, but I'm impressed. I get the high scrabble score tonight, but diving into the, the games of the week and we can kind of transfer to the, the quarterback play. Cause we saw two, two pretty outstanding quarterbacks and not guys that we mentioned, but just an example of guys that get lost in the shuffle because there are so many good ones. Yeah. And that was number two Clemson going into college station and taking down Texas A&M 28, 26 and Shane, this was a game that you and I had pegged to uh, for A&M to cover the spread. Uh, our, you know, our rationale being that, Clemson always has one of these tough games early in the season, at least in the Dabo era. They, they usually, they typically win, but they have a tough game at the beginning of the season. And because a and has a lot of guys returning, and frankly, I, we think that yeah. the, the changeover from Sumlin to Jimbo maybe gave them more yeah. structure because I think Sumlin knew he was out. Jimbo had one foot out the door, wasn't really focused on a Florida State. So this is a, a lot of things came to came to fruition here to make it a close game, and. The, the thing I came out of this looking looking at was how far along A&M is right now. Yeah. No, that's what I wrote in the show notes. I just said I think that I think more of Texas A&M in this loss than I think of some other teams that won this week. I actually moved them up in my top 25 based on this result. And that's why there's no moral victories in losses, but there's a lot that you can learn. And I think – we learned that Texas A&M is, is a really well-coached football team that has a lot of players, and it just goes to show how really how well Jimbo Fisher can develop quarterbacks and seeing how far along Kellen Mond has come in two weeks, but especially from last year under Sumlin to this year now under him. He looked like a completely different uh, uh, player, um, and I think they're ahead of schedule. Uh a lot of all coaching turnover is um, is judged to varying degrees. And I think most people thought that this was a, maybe a seven win Texas A and M team. But I think that when you see how good they play at home back to back weeks and you see how nicely they're transitioning um, on offense. And then the defense actually play I mean, Clemson scored twenty eight points, mm-hmm. but that's a lot less than I think they would have scored under previous Kevin Sumlin defenses at A and M. And so I think more of, of Texas A&M than did a week ago. I mm-hmm. think Jimbo's got them ahead of schedule. But also on the other side of the ball, I have a couple of – I have a positive and a negative. One, this is the type of win that Clemson has to have because of how cupcake their schedule looks from here on mm-hmm. out. It would probably be easier for Clemson to probably turn it on, turn it off whenever they want to. Going into this atmosphere, 100,000 people at night, SEC – will galvanize them and make them a better football team. But at the same time, there's two ways you can look at quarterback battles. When you have two guys that you're looking to play, you either have quarterbacks with a defined role, and the defined role, I would say, is the way that Nick Saban is handling Tua and Jalen in Alabama, or I guess the old-school reference would be Chris Leak and Tim Tebow at Florida. Mm -hmm. Each quarterback had a very defined role they played, time they played, thing they did. Or you can have undefined roles, which is basically we're letting both guys play and we're trying to figure it out. And I think that's what Clemson is still doing. Mm-hmm. Now, that's fine against lesser teams. But I think going forward, Clemson's going to just need to find um, a quarterback they want to play the majority of the time, whether that's Lawrence or Bryant, and they need to stick with that because their offense has all the big playability in the world, but it is not hitting the level of 
cohesion and consistency that you would like it to hit. And I think some of that is because they're playing both of these guys and they're really not wanting to commit to either one of them. And so my personal per- preference, because I, sometimes I feel like we can straddle the fence just because we don't like to get too hot takey, I would say play Kelly Bryant. I know he's probably not the best quarterback on the roster. Lawrence has probably got the the higher ceiling. But he can he can run the ball, the dual threat ability, and just him being him being an upperclassman that probably has yep. a little bit more confidence with his receivers and knows how to play in bigger games. Not saying that you you redshirt Lawrence, but that you define their roles more specifically. I think moving forward, Clemson needs to do that. But it was a great game. I actually feel mm-hmm. bad a him lost, but I feel good about them going forward in the SEC. Yeah, I'm with you on Kelly Bryant. I I think that he would be the best choice going forward because of that dual threat and because of the upper class. The same reasons you mentioned. The the thing that we haven't seen yet is what they do when one of them plays really poorly. I think when you get into a big game, if there is no defined role like you talked about, then you're kind of you're getting into a little bit of a messy situation because you don't have a plan necessarily for okay. Kelly Bryant comes in, throws two picks. Well. Do you contextualize it and say, okay, what happened in those picks that was it his fault? Was he playing bad? Or was it just a matter of circumstance? And do you maybe react too quickly and say, okay, it's Trevor Lawrence's game now? That's the thing where you get into trouble if you're if you're if you don't have defined roles. Uh, so that's a great point. The Kellen Mond play in this game. Now, the most people that were making comments on this game were commenting on uh, the great throws that he had for his touchdowns. But I'm telling you, man, every three of those touchdowns that he threw could have been picked off. It, yeah. It, they were they were essentially 50-50 balls. And the love that was being – I listen, listen, Mond was impressive in his ability to escape the pocket, to get away from that Clemson defensive line, to put the team in position to score. But, I mean, this, yeah. it was kind of a game where a lot of things went A&M's way. And they still lost by two. Uh, the A and M receivers were unbelievably impressive. Uh, with yeah. Ken- Kendrick Rogers, Cameron Buckley, Osbin, Courtney Davis, who had the unfortunate fumble through the back of the end zone uh, to, for a touchback. But uh, you know, Kellen Mond was good, and I think there's something to be taken about this, especially considering the quality of the defense they played. The Trevor Lawrence to T Higgins touchdown. I think, and this is just something that came up when I saw T. Higgins grab that ball, because Trevor Lawrence, listen, he put the he put the ball in the right position for T. Higgins. But if T. Higgins plays the way he has been, Hunter Renfro does what he does. Etienne at the tailback is is doing what he does, and Amari Rogers had a really good game too. This is a fantastic set of playmakers for Clemson. Oh yeah. On the, it, you know, it was a little bit of an unknown coming in because, you know, Etienne had pretty limited carries coming into the season. Renfro was really the only known commodity, but they are all all capable of doing big things because just because of the you know, recruiting status they all had coming in. But I think we're seeing some, you know, some big things and some big potential there on the outside for Clemson and on defense. The only other thing I wrote down was Cleveland Farrell was. A monster in this game. You you didn't see the the big flash moments. Austin Bryant had a couple, but Cleveland Farrell was a, just an absolute beast in this game. It's that second level of the Clemson defense where we noted early on in the preseason there was some inexperience that they're going to yeah. have some issues. Yeah, that's kind of the thing I wanted to end this this topic on was just Clemson secondary has you know a lot of talent and Texas A and M is like I said one of the better teams they'll play 
on their schedule this year. But once you get into the playoff, you know, let's just play this out. You're going to be hypothetically against Alabama, who has the most dangerous passing offense they've ever had. Ohio State, which looks light years better under Haskins. Kyler Murray, who, my God. Um, and then maybe Georgia with Fromm or you know, one of those guys. Much better passing and mm-hmm. then also just skill player type uh, offenses than what Texas A&M has. So if you're giving up 300-whatever yards to, to Mond and to A&M, then what are you going to give up against Tua, Ruggs, Chudy, those guys? Um, and so I think that secondary has got to find a way to get right. Now they got the best defense coordinator in college football, yeah. so you would think there's maybe some things they'll change. But that is, if there is an Achilles heel on that team right now, it's the big playability the secondary is allowing. Um, there was a lot of points scored in this next game. Hmm. Uh, big plays, speaking of that. Uh, Georgia 41, uh, South Carolina 17. And I was I – was, at, let me. I don't know if this is hedging my whatever, but it's just like I was surprised at the beginning, but then by the end of the game, I thought, okay, that makes sense. Like what I'm seeing here <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. I thought coming into the game with the crowd being really into it, two thirty kickoff, they're playing Sandstorm. You know, obviously South Carolina really talented. I thought they could make it a game and give Georgia that type of road atmosphere that makes them uncomfortable. Now I always thought Georgia was going to win, but I did pick South Carolina to cover. But then you realize and you see very quickly that Georgia is just such a cut above every team in the SEC but Alabama. And I don't think South Carolina is a terrible team because of this loss. I think they're probably an average top fringe, top 25 team. I'll start off by saying, and then I'll let you get to your points, the biggest takeaway that I had between this is how big of a gap there is between Georgia and the rest of the East specifically, and then really just Georgia and the rest of the SEC other than Alabama. It feels like, to me, they clinch the division in week two. And so they've got big games on their schedule. They've got Auburn. You know, they've got got a tough game every week in the SEC. But it just feels like Kirby really has that program. I I heard a good – and I'm going to throw it to you after this, but I heard a really good caller on the Feinbaum show (laughs) last week. And I I know that sounds weird to say because (laughs) – how many good callers are there on the Fine Bomb Show? I I believe in Kirby Smart. I, in 2016, go listen to the podcast. He's he's someone that I thought was going to have success right away, and he has. Mm-hmm. But he had he got maybe one year ahead of schedule last year. So I think I think the thing that people wanted to see, and I want to see, is you know Mark Rick was eight and four in his first year at Georgia, one loss in his second year, would have went to the playoff if there would have been, and then didn't had a didn't have a great third year. He kind of fell off a little bit. I was wondering if, you know, and a lot of people were, if Kirby was going to maybe drop back to earth a little bit, if this would be the game he would lose in year three, replacing a lot of people. But really, they just replenished everybody. Their running backs look as good as they did last year. They're just, I mean, they've got a Vander Holyfield's kid. Um, mm-hmm. They've got Swift and Cook. From he doesn't make all the best throws, but he's got a really yeah. talented arm. Their receivers are great, and, and their offensive line is just a bunch of studs. And so they're just such a better team than everybody else in, in that division. So that was a long, long kind of answer. But that's my biggest takeaway, my first takeaway, is just how much better they are than everybody else that they're going to play. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. Was, I think South Carolina was a very popular pick to at least cover the 10-point spread at home last week. And you, 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 like you hit on it. You can understand the rationale. It's a fairly experienced South Carolina team at home against a Georgia team that, 
they, you know, we commented a number of times, had to replace a ton from last season's successful year. And maybe they're still trying to find their way. Maybe they catch him at the an opportune time early in the season. But from the jump, it just looked different. In the in the first minute, DeAndre Baker ran that back. I think it was Rico Dottle who, who the ball went through his hands, the Bentley throw went through his hands. Yes. It just felt it just felt like they didn't have a chance from the first minute of the game. Like you go into that with yeah. all this positive expectation that's going to be close. It just felt different, and it's almost as if Georgia is getting to that Alabama point already in year three of Kirby, where yeah, you know you you get the slightest. Sp- slightest bit of blood in the water and they're ready to pounce and that's something especially for such a young program I mean, Kirby's come in and, and instilled a lot of his guys in there and they have a lot of young players um, a lot of freshman sophomores still contributing but that says something about establishing a, a program that has that mindset and if you're an inferior team talent wise like South Carolina was and I'm not saying anything bad about South Carolina they just simply don't have the same level no, of talent yeah. that Georgia does you can't you're right. make mistakes like that they had some questionable yeah. – the strategy was questionable. Bentley threw it 47 times. They only ran it 20 times. It's, it's yeah. very interesting, especially against a team as fast as Georgia. When you have that kind of team speed on defense, you need to vary it up. You need to throw some kind of confusion the other way. If you if they know which way you're going, that's helping them up a little bit. And the other thing that I, I took away from this game, and you hit on a little bit already, we talked about Holyfield in the, in the backfield, is I one of my major points coming to this season – was how Georgia was going to potentially revamp the offense a bit, maybe giving Fromm more opportunities to throw with an experienced receiver group. And again, we're only two games in, so this could still be coming, but they really are, Shane, staying true to who they were last season and not asking him to do too much. I mean, he's had to throw it 34 times in two games, 18 in this one. Again, the game was still, it was 20 to 10 at halftime, so could have still thrown it a bunch. Uh, uh, and a lot of it having to do with our huge leads, like I mentioned. But that three-headed tailback combination between Swift, James Cook, who's a guy who you hammered home in the preseason as someone to watch, and Holyfield Hello. have all carried it between 14 and 20 times for between 100 and 107 yards. That's consistency. You're getting the same production from three players. When you have that, that's mighty tough to beat because you can just it's basically clear substitution at that point. This guy's tired. Put someone else in because yeah. Again, this is all small sample size theater right now, but that kind of depth really can go a long way. We didn't even factor in. I mean, heading into the second half, it looks like South Carolina has a chance. Then Hardeman rips off a run and goes and they go up twenty-seven to ten. So, a team that we thought lost a lot, replenished already, and that kind of talk puts you in that Alabama Clemson conversation. Yeah, that's the point I wanted to make before we moved on. Is that. Georgia's actually a year ahead, mm-hmm. again, of what the three-year model that, that Saban had at Bama. So the first year, he goes 6-6. Six and six. The second year, he loses um, to, to Florida in the SEC title game. And then the third year, he wins the title. And Georgia had a better first year, a better second year. And now in year three, Kirby can really implement his full plan. He's won with mostly – Mark Richt depth up until this point. Now, he played a lot of freshmen the last two years, so those were his guys. But year three is when you really start to see a lot of the team be his team, and his identity is kind of fully implemented across the program, which is scary because they went to the national title last year. And so, yeah, I think you're, you're fastly seeing Georgia get 
to the point of being every year, year in, year out, mentioned with Bama, Ohio State, as long as Urban's there, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. Clemson, and now Georgia. I think those are the five teams that every year, when we talk about the top five and, and playoff contenders, they will be in the discussion. Now, other teams year in, year out, depending on their development, whatever it will be in there. But Georgia's put themselves in that conversation. And it is a small sample size within the vacuum of this season. It's only week two. I don't maybe we shouldn't speak so definitively, but yeah. I don't believe that every program every year a team is independent to the team but the year before. Now every team is their own team in one sense, but there is a continuity uh from last year to this year. They did lose a lot, but they did bring a lot back. And so we have a big enough sample size with a lot of these guys to see, hey, they're really damn good, and they're going to win a lot of football games. And so that's a really good – I thought that was a really good point that you made about uh, the Saban model. So um, yeah, do you have a last word on that, or are we going to game three? No, let's go to our third down of our four-down segment, the four biggest games of this past week, and it is Stanford, number 10 Stanford hosting number 17 USC and ultimately coming out victorious 17-3. to And, you know, Shane, looking back on it, you have a freshman quarterback going on the road in a conference environment. Maybe we should have saw this coming. You know, we knew USC's defense was going to be a little ahead of the offense given the youth on offense relative to the ex- experienced guys like Porter Custon and Cameron Smith on defense, Christian Rector. But Stanford, you know, they keep doing Stanford things, and KJ Costello may be the most talented quarterback since Andrew Luck. There, Bryce Love got good in this game. They've got Caden Smith and Trent Irwin, Colby Parkinson, Arcega Whiteside, one of the most impressive groups of receivers that that David Shaw's have. But that's that Stanford defense, man. I mean, yeah, man. I'll let you. I'll let you go to town on it because even though they had huge losses on that side of the ball this offseason, they're. They are mighty tough. And you could say it was a freshman quarterback on USC, but this is USC. Those are USC athletes over there right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially USC athletes, they're skill position players. And and JT Daniel enrolled early, so he's obviously a very talented quarterback. But I am a little bit surprised that we uh, we both picked Stanford to win. I thought uh, the USC might cover, and I was wrong, it was it was a dang impressive win by Stanford, and I think it it also showed USC is a very flawed team. Still, they're a young team, a lot of growing pains. But I was talking to you before we started recording. You know, Stanford's probably been the the second number two school I followed the last almost ten years at this point since Harbaugh got there outside of Alabama. Um, in a lot of ways, I've said that they're Alabama West, and they they like to play more bully ball. They've never really um, adapted from that bully ball type of persona where Bama has. I mean, they still just want to beat you up, offensive line, um, power run game, and play some just stout defense. But I say that to say coming into the year, I think I had them ranked 17th um, in the first poll that we did. New, you know, Quarterback, some receiver turnover, d- defensive turnover being the main thing, and then just thinking about attrition over the years and just wondering if they could sustain being a, a 10-win team and really compete with Washington. I thought that Oregon and and, them, and Stanford were in their own tier. But after you – know, I know it's only been a couple of games, but after seeing this type of game, it leads me to believe that they can play with the Washington-type uh, team in the Pac-12. And so if things go right – now there's a lot of season left – but it starts to allow me to consider the fact that they could win the Pac-12. And if they win the Pac-12, then they're in the playoff discussion. And so, yeah, they play bully ball on both sides. 
It was good to see Bryce Love get right, especially against a USC team that's got some real players on, on mm-hmm. defense. <clears throat> and they have to they have to this game is the type of game that you I mean you you shut out USC or you didn't shut out USC, they you, you gave up three points, but I I read a stat that this was the lowest scoring USC performance in like twenty something years. Um so the fact that you can shut down any USC team to this extent mm-hmm. is a huge testament. So yeah, David Shaw's got those guys, and I liked what you said about CJ uh, KJ Costello. I'm gonna call him CJ about a hundred more times before I get it That's right. That's fine. KJ Costello, he is a dynamic dude that has a really live, wild arm, and I mean I use wild in a good way. Um, there wasn't a lot of huge plays in this game, but mm-hmm. he can make a lot of fun throws that lead to big plays, and so. With him at quarterback and then them getting love right, and you you mentioned Caden Smith and Whiteside and those guys, they've got guys that can they, they can distribute to. You know, I, I don't know if I want to flip to to Stanford as my Pac-12 <laughs> front runner from here on out, but it it it's it'd be hard not to, and I wouldn't you know I wouldn't knock you if you did. So big performance by them, and then I think and you'll you may can speak on this. You and I both thought that USC was going to struggle this year, not win the division, and maybe fall out of the top twenty-five. I'm not trying to kill them off by losing Stanford. There's no shame in that. But it just goes to show when things go poorly, it's going to be hard to win with this young team freshman quarterback. Yeah, it's – you know, we've talked on USC in, in this potential struggles for a number of reasons. And when we pointed to Clay Helton possibly being – you know, this this kind of being his undoing unless they give him a year of patience. But uh, yeah, I mean, my big takeaway from this game, I really didn't, I really didn't look at USC differently after this game. If if that makes sense, I, I really I really no, don't, yeah, I, I take yeah. more, I take more out of this from Stanford putting away a Absolutely. an opponent opponent at home doing it handily, and you know we talked about when we talked about Georgia elevating to a certain level of program, and I think David Shaw's got Stanford, and they've got the infrastructure that may not have them at national championship caliber, but has them at yeah. a level where they're consistent every year so regardless of the influx or, or the, the departures that they have they yeah. they are they're consistent and they've had you know not an 18 but the 17 and 16 recruiting classes were two of the best that he's had there so these guys yes. are finally coming up right now so you're seeing kind of a, a, a they're the, both these recruiting classes are coalescing with the veteran guys and creating something that maybe is bigger than we thought initially was going to be in this season and when you have a situation like you lose uh, Quinton Meeks and Justin Reed and Harrison Phillips to the draft, and you're really just bringing back Elijah Holder, Bobby Okariki, and Joey Elfiri on defense. And most of those other guys have not had very extensive experience. You have eight, but yet you have eight seniors starting on defense. That's an interesting thing because typically when you turn it over, it's going to be sophomores coming in, juniors coming in. You'll get guys with one or two years of experience. But there's a ton of maybe hungry guys that have been sitting there waiting for their chance that because of the infrastructure Shaw has built, they're ready when they get in there. You say you use uh, – you say coalesce? Yeah. Have I done – Yeah, so you said, co- you said yeah. coalesce and then and you said homogenous. Yeah. And some people may think those uses of words in a podcast are superfluous, but hey! I don't. Hey, I new pretty, guy. I thought, I thought they were pretty good. Big tuna. Big haircut, really. Big, big uh, that's words. an office reference. Yep. Uh, no, I think, yeah, I, I'm glad you made that point about not thinking less of USC. I didn't really view USC highly. Uh, I'm more impressed by by Stanford 
um, and, and what they've done. And I th- another good point as far as, yeah, they're not Bama year in, year out, but as far mm-hmm. as building sort of a machine that can be a playoff – because if you win the Pac-12, you're going to be a playoff contender every year. And so they're a perennial playoff contender every year. Let's go to our fourth game, fourth down, and it is another Pac-12 uh, team featured. And I can't believe we're featuring this team after oh. the type of uh, – uh, <laughs> just type of derision that, that – Man, we I, killed Herm Edwards in in the offseason. Not and not just you and I. We, everybody on Twitter when he was hired, everyone, everyone killed it. And you know what? I totally I stand by why people did that. You know, it's just like it made no sense. It came out of left field. And I guess I should get to the point. Arizona State beat Michigan State in the desert, sixteen to thirteen, in just an ugly NFL score type game. And yeah. Herm Edwards can probably appreciate that type of performance. Um, and before we get to the game, just a, just a minute. At, when, when Arizona and Arizona State became open, everyone thought someone was going to end up at Arizona State. I can't remember what reporter, but some reporter, like big-time reporter, broke that it was basically a done deal. And then it didn't happen. And then they hire Herm Edwards, and then Arizona hires Kevin Sumlin. And I, we picked Arizona to win the division. They're 0-2. They look Not awful, and we're going to get to that. Know. Arizona State's two and zero. They beat Michigan State, a Michigan State team I had ranked, I believe, twelfth to start the preseason. You had them, I think, twenty first. Mm-hmm. Um, by no means, I mean, regardless, Michigan State should not have lost this game. It's embarrassing. But on the other, uh, on the other hand, the fact that Herm Edwards is just drowned all that out, and to an extent, he's sort of embraced it. Like he's not, <clears throat> he's not a dummy. He knows what people are saying about him. But maybe he is finding a way to be that you know that statesman, that CEO um, type of head coach to where he admits that he doesn't know what he doesn't know. He's brought in some really active and young coordinators and position coaches like Antonio Pierce, former New York Giant. And so maybe he's got guys around him that can coach these kids and he can just be the father figure and sort of the CEO role. And maybe that works for him. Because as of right now, they're the front runners to win that division, and so that's just—it was just an incredibly crazy performance. I mean, it wasn't a good performance. They only scored sixteen and won by three. But I just think you have to take your hat off to Arizona State, beating a sure. really good Michigan State team at home, and and doing so and kind of shutting up people like you and I for at least another week. You know what he did though? He left it on the grass. <laughs> that was—I I was your... so—I was so when they were showing that at the beginning of the game. I'm like I was so on board the Herm Edwards bandwagon at that point. I was so after all the criticism levied on him in the off season, when he started just saying "leave it on the grass, leave it on the grass" repeatedly, I was like, "All right, man, let's go, let's go, Herm. This sounds fantastic." But uh, Freddie, those that missed that, he was shouting that in the tunnel as they were about to come out to the game. So really yeah, I saw your uh, your I, I saw your Twitter name this morning and it just cracked me up. I was like, <laughs> "All right, yeah." But no, no, seriously though, let's talk about Michigan State regress, regressing because you uh, kind of called it a little bit. No, they still have ten games left to yeah, go. There's a this, lot. Of, this is, there's a lot of time to go. I don't want to. I don't want to call this a win yet. But it does expose a weakness in their game, which is 
I mean, you can't really knock 16 points allowed on defense. That offense, with Lewerke coming back and L.J. Scott and the type of guys they got, should be putting up more than 13 points. And so if they can't get this offense right, regression is coming. And I say that because it's not that we want to kill teams off after two weeks, but now conference play is about to start. And right. if you can't get right early in conference, your season's done. And so I think this is, you know, again, you're not killing teams off, but Michigan State needs to solve this quick. And as we were talking about off air, L.J. Scott is hurt, and his status going forward is up in the air, and that's that is a almost crippling loss if he's if he's out for a while. And this Arizona State defense last year gave up 33 points a game. So the, the yeah. fact Michigan State couldn't put up more than not to say that it's the same team year to year, but it's not so vastly different where they can't score more than 13 points. Uh, against them with most of their guys returning. I mean, Michigan State, frankly, and before the season, I said they, they weren't the three-win team from two years ago. They weren't the ten-win team for this year. They're probably somewhere like eight, seven, eight wins. And that's not a bad thing. And Mich- Mark D'Antonio has consistently had them there. I just didn't see this team being the same thing as the Connor Cook team that went to the playoff a few years ago. I don't see the the same level of talent on on either side of the ball. The The big thing for them right now and you mentioned regression. It, it, what's coming soon is, is conference season starts, and they are extremely banged up. They either yeah. lost in this game or played before this game. They're down six starters. And one, one of those being L.J. Scott, who may be their best player. Connor Hayward's pretty capable at backup, but he's not the same as a healthy L.J. Scott. So, I mean, you get into conference play with a banged-up roster already. And that's gonna be that's gonna be trouble because you've got Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State all on your schedule, and in order to be a threat in the division, you've got to probably at most you can lose two games in conference to win the division. I, I'm guessing that conference you probably you can't lose more than one. So if you were down a bunch of guys, you have to roll into Penn State. Northwestern's out of slouch. They go to Indiana next week, but that's a problem. That's a problem. If you're not able to put up points, you, you struggle to beat Utah State, and you struggle to put up points against Arizona State, that doesn't bode well if you've had two bad performances like that. So, you know, a lot of talk about Brian Lerwerke coming to the year, like you mentioned, as a possible NFL candidate. Hasn't shown that yet. This is an experienced defense that, you know, they, they gave up. Manny Wilkins set a career high in passing yards against them in this game. It wasn't – Yeah. I mean, it – Somehow Arizona State left points on the field, and it just it just is not. They do not have the look of a team that's going to be a serious threat in the Big Ten East. Yeah, let me say this: there is two way, There's there's multiple ways to lose, and again, no moral victories. But mm-hmm. let's juxtapose. Let's juxtapose Texas A&M's loss with Michigan State's. Sure, Texas A&M lost while playing their identity, while playing their style. Michigan State threw it 39 times. Yep. They ran it they ran it 27 for only 63 yards. Now, if this is a shootout, if you know, if if this is a run and gun type game or if they're just in a zone, whatever. They scored one touchdown on 39 mm-hmm. passes despite throwing for 314 yards. It's it's inconsistency in production as well as erratic and just or not really erratic but just irrational play calling. Michigan State's identity is not throwing the football. And if they have to rely on that or if they're choosing to rely on that, that throws them completely off the platform that they're founded upon. And so they, they didn't only lost the game, they just lost it playing ugly, 
not Michigan State football. And I think maybe that's more um, uh, worrying than the fact that they ran for you know, if they ran for two sixty three or three hundred yards or what you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and lost, you'd be like, well, they you know at least they Smash Mouth didn't play Michigan State football. But this was bad. This was just disappointing. It was odd, and something just seems a little bit off about them. It may be the injuries, and, and I don't, I don't know. But I just think going into conference play, um, they have, a, and I liked them a lot. You and I have a little bit of a stake bet going on between Penn State and Michigan State for total wins. I'm not feeling great, Bob, after that week. Um, but that was our fourth down, and so now we're going to get some quick hits. And Jeff, I'll let you start off with uh, your quick hit, uh, first quick hit of the week. The only one, or the one I'm only going to care about, and that's Notre Dame, why are you passing 31 times against Ball State? Why are you passing 31 times against Ball State? You have running backs that are better than any athlete Ball State has. You have an offensive line that, although struggling to pass, is struggling in pass protection, but is better than any defensive lineman Ball State has. How are you not running the ball more? Ball State set an all-time record against Notre Dame with 97 to 98 plays run. That's all time for an opponent because they took the ball out of their hands and Notre Dame was giving it back to them because they were throwing the ball. That's it. Notre mm-hmm. Dame, just just run the ball. Just run the ball. Yeah. And not so fast, my friend. That Vandy game we're going to get to. No. Just saying. No. Just saying. My first quick hit of the week is, <clears throat> starting with the Alabama game, it was Arkansas State. It was always going to be a win. But they won by 50 points and two attack of a low book. Tongue of a low, excuse me, could could have sat out the after the second drive. Um, he's averaging a touchdown pass, I believe, every five point eight completions and every four point two attempts. He is second in college football in uh, YA, AYA, and passer efficiency rating through MIA. College Football Reference. Um, the only reason he's second and not first is Toledo's quarterback threw 16 times and it was 11 for 16. He was just a more efficient passer by however they define that. The point is, incredible, incredible stats. Um, Six touchdowns and something five throws. That's insane. Yep. That's insane. That's Col- he's putting up more efficient numbers per throw than Hawaii's Cole McDonald, which has 13 touchdowns on 111 passes. Yes, I have that memorized. It's not that big of a deal. My point is... Alabama's quarterback situation looks really, really good. I have nothing more to add except for this. Why is Jalen Hurts playing against Arkansas State? You've burned another game that he can't – you burned another game in his red shirt you know, window. Um, why wasn't Mac Jones playing every snap after Tua went out? You didn't need Hurts. Hurts had a really nice game. He made some great throws, including one of the nicest throws I've seen this year to Jerry Judy. But the mm-hmm. fact of the matter is, what is Hertz's role? Because it came out this week that he was going to be redshirted. He can only play in four games if that's the case. Why are you bringing that on Arkansas State? I just want to know going forward what the heck is going on. And most people do. Is he going to be redshirted? Did we use? Did we? Did Bama use one of uh, his his uh, redshirt games this week? Mm-hmm. Or is Saban just saying to heck with it and we're going to play him for the rest of the year? Maybe Hurts doesn't want to sit. Maybe Hurts wants to just play and then transfer and play one more year. I don't know. But I just still think through two games, the quarterback situation is really weird. Two is definitely the starter. I just We're waiting on some clarity for Jalen Hurts' role going forward. What is your next sec- quick hit? My second one is I, I don't know what Karan Higdon has to prove to Jim Harbaugh to get him the ball more, but he's been the best running back in Michigan. This is the third season. He's been the best running back in Michigan. 
Last year, he only carried it 164 times in 13 games. He's a guy I pegged in my in a preseason column about potential for the Heisman if they just give him the ball more. He's averaged 5.9, 6.1, and now 6.7 yards a carry. Had a really, really strong game on against Western Michigan. Again, just Western Michigan. But if you turn on a Michigan game and don't realize that their best player is Karan Higdon, you're watching the wrong game. So this is just a shot at the Karan Higdon. Hoping he keeps to get keeps getting his because I really do think it's going to be a key to what Michigan does this season. What is your uh, what's your SEC based take? I smell coming on. Uh, I smell my it. next quick hit is uh, LSU's offense is very misleading. Uh, Joe Burrow was only ten of twenty in a win this week. Now they won thirty one to nothing. But the fact of the matter is, their offense still looks very simplistic, archaic even. And after the Miami win, beating a team like Miami in the fashion that they did covers up a lot of you know little um, blemishes. But in, in week two, in game two, it's a much easier performance, or a much easier team, really lackluster performance for the offense. Now, the defense is great, looks great, but... I still am gonna. I'm, I'm falling back to earth, to earth with this with this uh, LSU offense now that I've seen Joe Burrow two weeks in a row. He's every LSU quarterback that they've ever had, and he may be a little bit better. But what's that really worth? I have real concern moving forward about how they can be efficient, effective, and dynamic. Dynamic is really the most important word in that. How dynamic they can be on that side of the ball when they start playing really good defenses. So mm-hmm. LSU two and zero. Playing really good defense, scored enough points to make the box score look you know look nice, but that offense is just very misleading right now. I this is a question to you because I have fond memories of two thousand one, a big Colorado Nebraska game when they both played the Big Twelve, and you know Eric Crouch and Chris Brown and all these guys. And then you get the tweets this weekend about what's going on in Nebraska Colorado, and you realize that one's in the Big Ten, one's in the Pac twelve, and I was just like, meh. They said it was an exciting game and everything. I just it's it's sad to me that Nebraska Colorado is just not on my radar right now. As far as as far as in the hierarchy of importance of college football games, that just was kind of eh. I don't know how you're feeling on it was. Anything? See, I hate to say that that's like short-sighted and and a very get off my lawn take. Right. But it was short-sighted in a very get-off-my-lawn take. No, seriously, I, I, I disagree. I'll go the other way on that. Okay. I think that you've got, like you said, Steven Montez in his 100th year of eligibility playing really well. Um, and then uh, Chenault, uh, the Colorado receiver. LaVisca. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, yeah, yep. 10 catches, 177 yards. Yeah. He's becoming one of the stories of the season through two weeks. Just so much hype building around him. He had a rushing touchdown as well. And so the fact that that team is playing really fun on offense, and then, again, juxtaposed, with Nebraska starting a true freshman in Adrian Martinez, who was really volatile, really volatile, but Mm -hmm. had some impressive throws, had 117 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. So that's that's fun. And just the fact that you see the the slight, the ever slightest imprint of of Scott Foster's um, vision on this team. And so, I liked it. It was old school game. Well, we want to see teams like this play. And so, both teams are having a really you know energetic start to the year, even though Nebraska's zero and one. 
There's a yeah. lot of energy about the program. So well, I'm not saying I didn't like it. I just was saying that was my initial reaction was disconcerting to me because I'm like, I remember the days when Nebraska-Colorado was, was big time. And I hope yeah. it certainly gets back to that, but they, it obviously can't happen in conference anymore. But it just that was sure. my, that was my only take. But what's your uh, what's your last quick hit here? Yeah, so Kevin Sumlin and Willie Taggart, what the hell? Um, <laughs> Sumlin looks awful, like physically? just so bad. No, well maybe you know, <laughs> and that, and that could be it. Um, no, seriously, like. I feel stupid for how out on the limb I went for him because Arizona looked incredible Don't. last year on offense. Khalil Tate won Player of the Week four out of five week stretch. Yeah, and so you just thought, man, you know, okay, someone didn't hack it, you know, in the SEC. A lot of people don't, but he never really was bad per mm-hmm. se. Um, he had some average years, but he also had a couple of really nice years. So I thought going out to Arizona with the talent, with the division, very doable, winnable. They got. Boat raced by Houston. Boat raced. It wasn't close early. It wasn't close late. And it looked like Houston was the Pac-12 division, you know, front runner. Mm-hmm. And what is going on? Like, is someone lost? You're, the way that, and I'll be quick. Khalil Tate is a nice passer, and there's there's opportunity to pass, but it, his his game comes from a run first type. The run opens up the pass. Mm-hmm. And he's not. He, I think seven carries this week, eight last week. But they're not really uniquely designed runs. Someone and in, in, they're not using him the right way. And that offense looks has no identity, and the defense just looks terrible, just yeah. awful. Yeah. And Florida State, man, they were losing to. I work down the road. I work off Lakeshore Drive in Homewood, Alabama. Uh, that. I, I was I wanted to see that upset. They they played they played Sanford so poorly for three and a half quarters, and then finally said, "Hey, we're a bunch of five stars. Let's just score a couple touchdowns and win the game." But Taggart, man, that team just smells of a of a mess. Like they he may get it together eventually, but I thought they were going to be an eight and four type team this year, fringe top twenty five team with a lot of nice talent. The team looks just take it's just bad. You know, they're just a very average team right now. And so I think you, you have to look at Taggart and Sumlin up there, especially Sumlin, as two of the, early, the biggest early season disappointments in, in, as far as new coaches go. Sure. The, uh, my last take here is on the Big Ten West. Or Big Ten, yeah, Big Ten West we're calling it, I guess now, not legends and leaders. But Northwestern proved me right by coming through with a loss again to at home after a big week one win. But I'm on Wisconsin watch right now, Shane, because – through two games, you know, I was afraid to pick them because I'm just, I just don't know with some of these teams in the Big Ten West, like the, the Wisconsin's, or some of these other Big Ten teams outside of Ohio State, and Michigan, have the type of guys to get to that next level. But they've won two games pretty handily against, you know, Western Kentucky and New Mexico. Not exactly big competition, but Jonathan Taylor is just rolling through guys right now. Hornerbrook has been efficient. Uh, AJ Taylor, wide receiver, has been good. So this is just. My antenna's up, and maybe I'm getting too excited already. It's only been one; it's only been two weeks, but please alert me to that. But before uh, we get on to where we're going to get on to, what are we doing next? We're doing the extra point well, here. Before we get to the preview, no, before we do the preview, yeah, uh, 
thank our spreadsheet layout for the little bit of lack of cohesion in this transition. Now, yes. we'll, we'll do our top five Heisman and our top five teams a- after week two, and then we'll get to our week three preview. Um, my top five Heisman, I've got Hask is unchanged from last week, and really you can mm-hmm. cluster all these guys together. There's no real difference yet. Haskins, Mil- McKenzie Milton at C- Central Florida, Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, uh, Tua Tonga-Valoa at Alabama, and Will Greer from West Virginia are my top five um, Heisman players this week. Mine are two different. Kyler Murray, number one. Will Greer, number two. Dwayne Haskins, number three. Two of four. Jonathan Taylor, five. So that's where we stand through two weeks. Uh, before we get on to our extra point segment, wanted to just thank our sponsors at uh, MyBookie. You know, ever since we started this podcast, people have been asking me for advice, especially last week after I beat you, Shane. Usually it's what team to bet on this week. The truth is, I don't know who's going to win. I just take lucky guesses. You think you know, check out my bookie. Remember who you're betting on is just support is who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Been in the business for years, great reviews, and their mobile site, especially more more important now than ever, is easy to use. I would only recommend the service to my listeners that's been good to me, urging you right now to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. Free in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, Bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Would probably do terrible at that. Join now. MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code PYLON to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie. And don't forget to use the promo code PYLON. You play. You win. You get paid. And we move on to our extra. Yeah, that was such a sly way to say, hey, Shane, you sucked last week. And thank you for using MyBookie. Yeah, we had a bad week, guys. All right, Two, let's just address that. We did seconds. not have a we did not have a bad week. Hold on a second. We your did boy not have here, a bad week. Your boy here looked at the schedule, okay. looked at, and again, week two going into it, you still have to think about what you're projecting a little bit. You still don't know what you don't know. I looked at the road, the games last week, and loved the road dogs. All right, I started zero six. I started zero six on Saturday on picking against the spread. Never had a week this bad, you know. We ended up, I think we ended up three and seven or four and six. I don't want to look and I don't care, um, but I hit on Texas A&M, so we feel good there. We feel good about Kentucky, but yes, you beat me last week. We're gonna get right this week. You keep saying we, yeah. And I'm very confused because I don't know who you're talking to. It's just an expression. It's an, it's a football. It's a football. I'm a okay. football guy. You know, okay. we, you say we. Let's do our picks. Let's do our picks now. Then we'll do our picks now. Before All we get right, to week the three point. preview. Let's get to it. Oklahoma at Iowa State. <clears throat> the spread's eighteen. Jeffro, yep. who you got straight up? Who you got on the spread? Oklahoma, Oklahoma revenge. They cover the spread and win big time against Iowa State, who struggled last week against not a great Iowa team. Shame. Agree. Rodney Anderson, though, huge injury. Trey Sermon and really probably by committee are going to have to pick up the load with Rodney mm-hmm. Anderson going out for the year. Yep. And you hate you hate all injuries, but it seems like – I hate to say this, but it seems like with the best players you hate them more because you get to see them and, it's, you know what I'm saying, they affect the game the most. Yep. Um, but I think they cover that offense is deadly. It may be more – Kyler Murray has a better arm maybe than Baker Mayfield. I don't think he's a better pro prospect. I'm just talking about as far as live arm. And I he think is a, he's he is a better a college player. player than I think he has bigger upside than Baker Mayfield in college. He might. He might. Okay. He might. might. It's incredible. Yeah. So we got we both got Oklahoma. What's next? 
ND against Vanderbilt. Jeff will be the only one watching this game. Notre Dame favored by 14.5 at home. I've got Notre Dame winning, covering, getting right, being more of the team we saw against Michigan than the team we saw against <sighs> Ball State. Uh, I think they start running the ball more, hopefully, God willing. That defense is still ridiculous, but uh, I just hope they, I hope everything's well in my world after Saturday. Shane, who's your pick? You don't mean any of the things you just said. You can't yes, feel do. good about Notre Dame. You can't feel good about Notre Dame coming off I that Ball State performance. I feel fantastic about Notre Dame right now. I know you do. I'm okay. going. I'm going Vanderbilt to cover the spread. Um, I, I I don't so, trust Notre Dame's offense yet. Uh, their defense is lights out. I think it's going to be ugly. Take the under. That's a free one. Um, it's going to be an ugly game, and Vanderbilt loses late. They may give it away, but they, they're playing some nice football. I mean, Derek Mason, anchor down. I will watch this game. This I will may be a side bet between game. me and you. It, it should be. I'm going okay. Notre Dame to win, obviously, but I'm going Vanderbilt to cover. Our third game is Wisconsin uh, hosting BYU, and I've got Wisconsin covering and Wisconsin winning Again, I pick them to make the playoff. You're getting more on board with them. They roll at Camp Randall. I've got jump the same. Around. I've got jump the same. Up, jump we up have... and get down. <laughs> Bucky gets healthy it. this week. Bucky gets uh, BYU just tends to keep these games close. I don't know what it is about BYU, but they t- tend to keep them close. So I've got them uh, covering the spread, but not winning. We're seeing eye-to-eye more in our picks this week than we did last week. Auburn, LSU, huge game. Uh, we'll touch huge. on this in our in our extra points here game. in a minute. But Auburn by 10, a surprising line that's almost begging you to take LSU. But I've got Auburn covering at home the 10-point spread. Shane, I be- you're feeling similar? Yes. Okay. Weird, weird, unholy things happen on the plains. Auburn's going to get weird. And get right, and that defense for LSU is going to play well for. I mean, it probably played well for the entire game, but the offense is going to play putridly. Putridly, putridly. Is the word. Wow. I, yeah. Not even putrid. Putridly. Oof. I don't think that's a word. I don't think. It but it's going to be bad. No, okay. it's just putrid. You um, just said that. <laughs> putrid. No, putridly is a word, by the way. Yeah. So they're going to play putridly. They look okay. putrid. They are putridly. Okay. Um, I think you used free. it wrong there. That's free too. No, I probably did use it wrong there. Okay. Auburn minus ten. West Virginia on the road. NC State. NC Your State is my mountain. My seriously, my freaking Mountaineers. Right. Will Greer, Jennings, Seals. They run the ball. I read a really good article today. Maddie Brown shouts out to the English lad. Um, shared an article about Hogerson and how he's becoming more of a, a run-based kind of coach. He wants huh. to find more of an identity in that, and he was talking about how his, um, how like how Mummy and Mike Leach and those guys would probably disown him if they really dove into how much he's incorporating run principles into his offense. But he just said it's working for us. We still throw the ball a lot, so I think West Virginia is becoming more of a balanced team. They go on a road to uh, NC State, but I don't I don't trust NC State's defense this year, and mm-hmm. I think that offense for West Virginia is just too good. So West Virginia wins. West Virginia covers. I'm with you there. I, I was I had. Little trouble with this because I didn't know what to make of the West Vaughn going on the road and the points by being so low. Because I don't think, I mean, NC State Ryan Finley hasn't looked strong so far, uh, but I, I'm taking West Virginia and the points. 
Uh, Oklahoma State, Boise State. This is a huge game for this Boise State team because this is basically their playoff shot in one game because they need to win any Power 5 non-conference games they can. This one being on the road against an Oklahoma State team that's looked pretty sharp so far for a team that lost most of their offensive firepower. Three and a half point favorite Oklahoma State is. And I'm leaning Boise and Mark, and Mark I almost said Mark Rippon, Brett Rippon. Mark Rippon wasn't around when you were born. Um, but Brett Rippon, who looks mighty good so far. The defense, who's got a ton of contributors on there. They rotate a bunch of guys in. And I really think it's it's all about the team speed and justice and whether they can track down Justice Hill and the aerial fire, firepower of Oklahoma State. I've got Boise covering, well, obviously covering, but covering and winning. Yeah. Um, Road Dog Brian Harson and B.A. Brett Rippon, that's a wrestling reference. Um, they look great right now. That Boise mm-hmm. State team, we both, we, we both picked them in the preseason to be the group of five uh, team that represented in the New Year's Six. But they, mm-hmm. they look incredible through two weeks. They'll go on the road to an Oklahoma State team that doesn't always play the best defense. A L- little bit of question marks on offense outside Justice Hill against a Boise State defense as good as it is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're, take, we're both on the board with Boise. The next game, I wish we had 30 minutes to talk about it. Can we take 30 minutes to talk about it? No. Right. Bama minus 22. If we, if we did a second podcast this week, we could talk, take 30 minutes to talk about it. Yeah, no, not my contract. Bama minus 22 at Ole Miss. And look, I've been saying it, you know, I, this is going on three weeks now. This game, more than any game on the Bama schedule, as the, the fan in me of this, of this program is worried about it. Now, they did allow 31 points last week to have made up school, but they scored 76. Um, they allowed Texas Tech to, to hang around a little bit a couple of weeks ago. But, man, they can score a lot of points. And here's the thing. I was listening to Nick Saban's press conference today. He always comes out and kind of has a message. Whether you ask him a certain question or not, he's going to gear what his response to a certain theme. I think mm-hmm. he's very much aware and worried about the skill players that Ole Miss has, Lodge, Metcalf, and Brown at wide receiver against young defensive backs and experienced defensive backs at Alabama. And so I think that there is there is real worry about this game becoming a little bit of a shootout because Arkansas State moved the ball last week on, on Alabama, had some chances, really shot themselves in the foot, could have scored more than they did. And so 22, I'm going Ole Miss covers, and Bama, but Bama wins. Uh, I mean, Ole Miss – had a tough time with Southern Illinois. Yeah, that's what I said. The Salukis. Southern Illinois. They not a FBS team, but it, yeah. it's tough. It's tough to a twenty-two point line at I, the I, Grove. I, at the Grove, I, I I'm still taking Bama in the points. I still think I still think they come out ahead. They cover the spread, and we're. The biggest hurdle that you identified is is overcome. I think this is a Bama win easy over Mississippi, uh, Mississippi team that is going to, you know, they put up points, but they're not going to stop it. They can't stop Southern Illinois. Who, how are they going to stop Alabama right now with maybe the best offense that they've had in Saban's tenure? So uh, TCU in Fort Worth against Ohio State, a neutral site game, neutral site game, Ohio State, Favored by 13, 
And I am going to Ohio State to cover. I think TCU has played pretty well so far. A slow start last week. Uh, yeah. Able to, get, able to get the victory. But and this Ohio State team looks really sharp so far. Dwayne Haskins looks better than we've seen. You know, JT Barrett, at quarterback, that he just very efficient and running that offense to a T. So I'm taking Ohio State and the points right now. Shane, your call? Same. In the preseason, okay. I would probably pick TCU. But after – after seeing how just they're massacring team, yeah, Ohio State looks so good with Haskins, and they found a way to get Tate Martell involved this past week. So that's a different kind of dynamic. Nick right. Bosa is probably the best defensive player in college football, or, or right up there with Ed Oliver. So yeah, Ohio State. Okay, Texas USC, Texas by three and a half. We this both... is the most unfun game to pick this week. <laughs> Texas. Uh, Tom Herman going up against USC and Bizarro Tom Herman, the job that we thought Tom Herman might have had a couple years ago. Uh, we see what could have really been. Point. But uh, I think Texas, I think Texas covers this one at home and gets the win. Yep. Again, another tough environment for JT Daniels to go into uh, to I guess this uh, Texas squad. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Texas is good. They almost lost to Tulsa, or they struggled against Tulsa, I should say. I don't think uh, USC is that good. Um, mm-hmm. If all things are equal, I yep. go with who I think the best head coach is, which is Tom Herman, and then also mm-hmm. Texas plays at home. Right. So there's two really big check factors. On the neutral side, I could definitely see USC right. win, but they check the boxes there. I'll go Texas minus three and a half. Washington okay. going to Utah. And now we see if Washington can get right from that Auburn loss for real two weeks ago. Utah is not fun. Utah is – I don't know if any team in in college football just wants to go to Utah and play. Um, Five and a half is a little bit high. Yep. But at the same time, I I think back to what we talked about after the Auburn game. Even though they lost, they shot themselves in the foot a lot. And they've got Mm – now that we've seen the receivers play pretty well against Auburn, that's I think maybe they can have a little success against Utah through the air, and they end up winning by a score. So I'll go, I'll go Washington to cover and obviously to win. I had a hard time with this one as well, kind of going through the same uh, mental thoughts. But I mean, Washington came out slow last week again, again, and then they kind of exploded in the second half. But I think they have the ability to do it. I think I believe Kyle Whittingham called. I forgot what his exact quote was, but I think he said he has a very mediocre team or they have a lot of improving to do. So, you know, I, whether that can happen in one week against maybe the top Pac-12 team is is up in the air. And then finally yep. we have one that you and I, the last game of the week that you and I disagree on, Syracuse-Florida State. Syracuse at in the Carrier Dome are three-point underdogs. They have a Florida State team that almost lost to Samford. Now, I feel like there's a lot of these games, Shane, where I'm saying they're get right games already, or you know, kind of learning from a struggle. Uh, yeah, learning from a struggle. I it's I'm basically going off of Florida State and them having better athletes in Syracuse, which may be the wrong way to look at this, and also saying they cannot possibly play. Like if this Sanford game wasn't a wake up call, we're gonna see a, another fall. A precipitous fall down the board like we did last year with Florida State when they just kind of mailed it in. And I don't think that's good for Willie Taggart to, to have that happen because I don't think Florida State would be afraid about pulling the trigger on another firing. 
Syracuse at the Carrier Dome, Dino Babers, crazy offense led by Eric Dungy, dual threat. He's already got 10,000 touchdowns, officially eight. Um, they get the win. They get the win against Florida State. Okay. They're a bad. They're a bad Florida State team right now that doesn't have an identity. Um, they're talented. Willie Taggart is a good coach, but this this is a bigger process than what a lot of people thought it was going to be. Even people that had moderate expectations for Florida State coming to the season, like myself, are like, "Come on, this is the game of the week that we disagree on." And I know I'm going on the limb here, but I'm going Syracuse to upset Florida State at home. Okay, great. Now that we got that out of the way, you know where we stand. I, I mean, Dino's got to get a big win sometime soon, right? Dino they got Babers the Cle- they got really the Clemson coach. win. I'm sorry, they had the Clemson win. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's welcome get to 2017. One. I thought I took the year off. Ah, well, hey, you never know. But yeah. got that I one. I don't in. know. Yeah, so I don't uh, feel good about this. I don't feel good go about to- it at all. Yeah, that's that. I, I do because I'm I'm just on board for the upset. But yeah, that's I understand. Like this is this is a game that I think a lot of people will, will be split on. Either you'll be like you and you're just like, come on, Florida State has to get right. They're gonna go up there handle business, easy win, or it's the other way. It's like, yeah, upset right. coming. Gotcha. Um, top five teams going into next week. Now we will have our top twenty five out inside the pile line. We're just doing our top five. Um, I'll go let you knock out yours. Mine remains unchanged, really. It's from a week ago. It's Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Auburn, and Ohio State. Okay. Mine is uh, Clemson, Bama, Wisconsin, Georgia, Ohio State. So not too dissimilar, uh, but I'm sure we'll see some more movement after this week since you know a lot of these teams are going to have some games that are going to have fact- going to be factors in the playoff picture. And you know our last part, our extra point to end the, the end the podcast today is that it's really Shane, prove it time for some of these teams. And we touched on it a little bit. We were talking about our picks and our review of last week. But, you know, Boise State on the road in Stillwater. Uh, getting that big – can they get the big non-conference, or big non-conference Power 5 win? LSU going to Auburn. TCU against Ohio State. Ole Miss against Bama. Utah against Washington. Really, any of these five teams could throw a wrench into some of the expected um, – or I said the last four, but Boise State, you know, needing to get that win. But the last four, they could really throw a wrench into the entire plans for the national title picture because I think most people, like you said, we did. Boise State was the the group of five team we anticipated to be the number one team. LSU, yeah. uh, you know, Auburn, we both liked. Ohio State, obviously. Bama, and and then Washington. I mean, Washington's got a, a loss already. They get another one. They're out of the picture. So really 100%. interesting this week because we haven't seen many upsets yet. Yeah, so you know, going into the first week, we thought that Vitek Florida State was going to be good. We thought LSU Miami is going to be really good. Turns out, two of those teams are definitely paper tigers, and and LSU is to be determined. Um, this is really the first week where we understand who some of these teams are, and we can honestly say, okay, this is a big game. And you're right, there hasn't been a lot of you know upset so far this year. This will change the way that the the college football is on a path going into week three, and it will sharply divert down a different path coming out of week three because some some of these teams that are ranked pretty highly play each other, and they're going to have to take a loss. And, I, again, if Boise State, like you said, wants to be the group of five champion, uh, for lack of a better term, they've got to win 
I think, this week to stay ahead of Central Florida, who's really rolling. And then LSU and Auburn is a huge game. I think Bama's going to win. But TCU and Ohio State, for me, is the one I've got circled, not only because of how it affects – it's not a it's not a conference game. It doesn't just affect a conference race. It's a national type game to where TCU can really spring forward and give the Big Twelve legitimacy uh, for that playoff spot. Because what happens if a one loss uh, Big Twelve team plays a one loss SEC or is up against a one loss SEC uh, team like Bama or Georgia mm-hmm. after conference championship week? I think this goes a long way in adding legitimacy for them. For the same token, Ohio State, this is the test to see you know, if they can win without Urban and really kind of show how good of a team they are going into conference play. So that's the game I think of all of them I've got circled. But, yeah, you're right. This is a big prove-it weekend in college football, and we'll really be able to talk more securely about where the direction of the season is headed after next week. And so I'm really looking forward to it. I will be watching all day Saturday live in Mobile, Alabama, for a wedding shower that we're having. So, oh. stoked about that. Uh, you know, but, but we bookended this podcast with wedding photos and a wedding shower. Yeah, but no, but seriously, I, uh, I'm going to you know, obviously have a couple of TVs going. It's going to be fine. We're going to be fine. But no, it's a busy weekend. It's a good weekend. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking yeah, yourself into that. No, I have, I have, look, let me just say this in front of everybody and God that's listening. <laughs> Kelsey does a really good job of understanding that I not only need one TV, I need multiple, and I'm going to watch the games. And that's okay. And we make it work. Hey, hey boy. That's that's all you can ask for in a, you a have, bride. You have nothing really to add to that. I do. I have a, I have a very, very understanding wife. See? Get you, some, get you some of those dudes. Get you that's an really understanding you, lady. I, I, I'm, for some reason, I, I'm overwhelmingly intrigued by Boise State, Oklahoma State. Yeah, same. And, that's I a th- fun game. I just think every year, you know, when you pinpoint these these group of five teams that may rise up to to make some noise. I mean, like last year, I was I was unbelievably intrigued by Central Florida up until the conference championship game against Memphis uh, and that fantastic game at the end. And they kind of as you know, I've kind of always had this issue with the group of five teams not really having a fair shot at the national title. And if you're in the if you're in the football the FBS, why do you not have a like some kind of chance to get into the playoff? I mean, let's let's be honest. It's it's really hard for one of these teams to get into the playoff picture with four teams. So you kind of cling on to that hope, and because you want to see one of these teams just come out of nowhere. You know, we saw Western Michigan two years ago, and then Central Florida last year. But in this Boise State team looks looks like there's something. But again, you kind of want to ride that to the end, and maybe there's some something that opens up at the end of the season for them to possibly get in. But regardless, you get to the end of the season, you're like, uh, I kind of want to just see four teams that are Power 5 conference teams that I know could wipe the slate with the group of five team. But, yeah. Idea, so, million-dollar idea, top yep. two ranked. Just do away with group of five conference championships. Go okay. to a nine-game schedule in a group of five mm-hmm. and have a, just an outright champion. But the caveat, because really you don't need a conference championship game in Group of Five because they're, it does, it's not really consequential to a, a big bowl game, sure. except for the top usually two Group of Five te- uh, teams that are vying for that New Year's Six Bowl. So let the top two ranked big t- Group of Five teams going into conference championship week play each other. Ooh. Add that as their 13th game. 
and give that team more legitimacy to be a top four team and not just a New Year oh. Six, no, not just a New Year Six day, uh, a bowl game team. All right, I'm going to run that back and look through the last few years and find out what those games would have been for the next podcast. Not right now, but for the next podcast. That's a fantastic idea. On board. Look at Shane solving college football's problems. It's How people m- helping people, and it's powerful stuff. There we go. There we go. Well, we'll have we'll be back with you guys next week to review week three and preview week four. Uh, Going to have something up on inside the pylon this week uh, with some our, our weekly notes column with our top twenty five. And we will yep. be back, like I said, we'll be back with you next week after the the slate of games. Shane, where can we follow you on Twitter? Follow me on Twitter at s alexander cfb, um, and go watch the new Jim Halpert show on Amazon. Jack Ryan, Jimbo's all grown up, really good show. So, pop culture will, reference of the week. We will we will talk about it when you finish the series because I'm completed four episodes in really excited about it. It's fantastic. Really excited about it. Follow me over, follow me over at Jeff underscore Fayer. Follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Leave a five-star review, only five-star reviews because we really only give you five-star podcasts. And then we will see you guys. We'll listen. You'll hear us next week on inside the pylon pylon. You thanks for listening.